24, the title may be a bit misleading, but I want to talk about the empty promises of Easter. Now on the first day, Luke 24, beginning in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told these things to the eleven and to the, all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in the affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. Bill and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect one. On the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was so angry that he threw the Bible down and stormed out the house because he expected the keys to a car. He and his father never saw each other again. It was the news of his father's death that brought Bill home again. And he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit. And he came across the Bible his father had given him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car they had chosen. I wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to God. Literally tossed aside the amazing and wonderful promise that God gives to us simply because they don't understand it. Or it may not be that they don't understand it, but it might be they just don't think it's possible. After all, in our world, we're taught, um, we're taught if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Since so many of us have experienced the pain and disappointment and letdown of quote-unquote empty promises, we've become a society that's leery of promises that tout something for nothing. It's made most of us quite cynical. This world is filled with empty promises. Ads on TV and in magazines and in newspapers tell us how to be happy, how to be attractive, how to be famous. If we would only 
purchase their stuff or their products. Well, the truth that I want to base this entire message on is that God never made a promise that was too good to be true. His promises are real. You see, instead of promises that are full of emptiness, Jesus comes into our lives as he did on that Resurrection Sunday and takes the emptiness and fills them with promises. I'd like to look at three things that were empty that day. The empty cross, the empty tomb, and his empty burial clothes. It is the very fact that each of these empty things that assures us that the promises of God are real. The promises of God are yea and amen. Amen. And none of these things, none of these things, not the cross, not the tomb, not the burial clothes, none of these things could hold Jesus back. And we can be sure of the fullness of God's promise, not only on that day, but the fullness of his promise in our lives. So we start with the empty cross. Because of the empty cross, we have today forgiveness of sin. Looking back at that first Easter morning, early in the morning, the women had come, had prepared spices, which was custom to anoint the body. That had to be a sad and somber moment as they're preparing the spices. As they journeyed from wherever they were on their way to the garden tomb, that had to be a journey with very little conversation. And the tomb where they were was not very far from the cross upon which he had died. So as they traveled to the tomb, they passed the place where he died, and they see the cross in the middle because it was the Sabbath. Nothing had been moved. Nothing had been taken down. And it was a grim reminder of a gruesome place where he died. Because you see, Jesus really did die. That is why I want us to see the cross this morning. It was a place where he died. But church, today that cross is empty. It's empty of his body, but it's full of the promises of God. It's full of hope for you and me. The empty cross gives us the promise that sins can be forgiven. The empty cross reminds us that a price was paid for our salvation. And not only that a price was paid, but the price was sufficient to cover all of our sins. The empty cross reminds us that the sacrifice he made was not just a nice thing he did. That sacrifice ended in victory. Not defeat as the Roman Empire thought it might have, but it ended in victory. And the empty cross means that the penalty for sins was paid. Sin. It's not a popular word today, is it? It isn't very politically correct. But the simple fact of the matter is that we have all sinned. We know the verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, except one. Except one. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who had never sinned. Everyone else that has ever been born and everyone else that ever will be born cannot live a, live a sinless life. But Jesus did. And because of that sin, Paul tells the church at Rome later in that same letter to the Romans that the wages of sin 
is death. That's in Romans 6.23. Because of his victorious sacrifice, you and I can experience victory in every area of our lives. And this is an important point. Because it was not just a sacrifice. It was not just a courageous sacrifice. It was not just a nice sacrifice. It was not just a heartfelt sacrifice. It was a victorious sacrifice. The price for sin was paid, and it was paid in full. When we look at the empty cross, it's a reminder of the promises of God that you can be forgiven. But pastor, you don't know what I've done, but Jesus does, and he died for those sins. On that cross, he paid the penalty. How big was his sacrifice? Romans 5, verse number 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't die for a people that had already cleaned up their act. He didn't die for a people that had gotten it all together. He died for us while we were in our most deplorable state. On the cross, he offered a perfect life for the most imperfect group of people. No one else could have done that. Moses couldn't have done that. Abraham couldn't have done that. And when on that cross, he breathed his last and said, it is finished. And it was finished. The price had been paid. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I need to make that clear. In a culture that would like to tell us there are many ways to him. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Not just being a good person, not just being nice to people, not just finding kumbaya moments and getting people together. It must be in the name of Jesus. No other name. Before that first Good Friday, God could open up his accounting ledger, look up each of our name, and there would be the phrase guilty of sin. But because of what Jesus did, Jesus said, I'll take all of those accounts. They're mine. I will take care of them. Wipe the slate clean for every single person. On that day, it became possible to write next to my name, to write next to your name in Jesus' own blood, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. The first empty promise is the empty cross filled with the promise of forgiveness of sins. You can hold your head high today because of what Jesus did. The next empty promise is the empty tomb. Let's get back to the women who were heading to it. After pausing perhaps briefly to look at the cross, they continue on their way on the path to the tomb. And someone had to wonder, Who's going to move the rock? Who's going to move this stone? And there was good reason for concern. The majority of, stone, of, of tombs that had a rock in front of it, where the Roman Empire had put it there, it weighed about two tons. It was in front of there, and the Roman soldiers had laid it there and had sealed it. They would have needed special permission to have it moved, but they continued on their way anyway. 
You know, I see faith there. They have no idea how they're going to figure it out. They have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm going to go on my way anyway. They got there, and they were amazed at what they saw. Well, I guess somebody knew we were coming. They did move the stone. The stone was moved, but the body was gone. Then they see two men standing in shining garments and saying, don't be afraid. Now, I could give them some slack about being a little bit scared. They get to a two-ton boulder that's moved aside. The body is gone. These two guys floating up above saying, don't be afraid. Oh, really? But then they give them amazing, amazing words. He is risen. And then a truth that we need to live by each and every day. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The tomb was empty. The empty tomb, if ever there was a symbol, the church throughout history has looked for a symbol that would show and almost as an icon represent our faith, especially on that Resurrection Sunday. Well, if there is one, it would be something that's empty. Let me tell you about a little boy named Philip. Philip never felt like he belonged. He was pleasant enough, but he looked a bit different and sometimes seemed unusual to his eight-year-old classmates. In his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. He gave every member a plastic egg. He explained that each child was to go outside, find a symbol for new life, and put it in the egg. Enthusiastically, the class responded. Back in the classroom, the eggs were opened one at a time with each child explaining the meaning of his or her symbol. In the first egg was a pretty flower. In the next, a beautiful butterfly, which really isn't good for the butterfly, but we'll get past that. <laughs> While green grass was in a third egg, the children oohed and odd. In another was a rock, and that prompted some laughter. Finally, the last egg was opened, and there was nothing in it. That's not Easter. That's dumb, one child said. Another grumbled, someone didn't do it right. The teacher felt a tug on his shirt. It was Philip who said, that's mine, and I did do it right. It's empty because the tomb was empty. There was an unusual, thoughtless, uh, thoughtful silence. And strangely, from that time on, Philip was accepted as part of the group. Philip continued to struggle with many physical problems. That summer, he picked up an infection, which most children would easily have shaken off. But his body was weak, and he couldn't, and a few weeks later, he died. At his funeral, nine eight-year-olds with their teacher brought their symbol of remembrance, and placed it in his coffin. Their unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers. It was an empty egg. Now the symbol of them for new life and new hope. It was Philip, the different child, who helped his friends see the wonderful hope of the message of Easter, that the tomb is empty. It is empty. 
You can go visit it today and it's empty. There may be a souvenir shop nearby, but inside the tomb, it's empty. The empty tomb is the complete sign of victory. It's a sign of, of, of new life. It's a sign that death is not final. It's a sign that depression is not final. It's a sign that disappointment is not final. We have an empty tomb because there is victory in Jesus. Jesus completed his mission. He rose again. And because of that, so can you. You can rise again. And when do we need that resurrection power? Well, for most of us, that usually comes around early morning on Monday. When we need that resurrection power to get us out. To know that his power is real. To those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, death has lost its sting. And it is no longer something to be feared. What fear is there when we have the promise that one day we will rule and reign with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That we will be together with him and forever share in his glory. A father and a son were traveling down a country road on an afternoon in the spring when suddenly a bee flew in the window. Being deathly allergic to bee stings, the boy began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. Seeing the horror in his child's face, the father reached out and caught the bee in his hand. Soon he opened his hand and the bee began to buzz around again. Again, the boy began to panic. The father reached over to his son and opened his hand, showing him the stinger in his palm. Relax, the father said. I took the sting. The bee can't hurt you anymore. God wants to say to each and every one of us, I took the sting of death. I took the sting of anything that's going to come against you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear any longer. That's what Jesus did for us. The empty tune is God's way of saying, relax, my child. Relax, my son. Relax, my daughter. I took the sting of death away. It can't hurt you any longer now there are many things we can experience in this life that cause pain but when we hide our life in Jesus why was the tomb empty because its former occupant had gotten up and gotten out he was alive no matter what we go through always know that Jesus has the last word in your life and in mine, Jesus has the last word. So we had the empty tomb, the empty cross, and the second empty promise was the empty tomb. But it didn't end there. Next, we have the empty burial clothes. Now, clothing tends to be personal for each person. I've pretty much, with certain exceptions, Unless I know you really, really well and I want to get you a special gift, it's not going to be clothing. Because I'm bound to get it wrong. Because everyone's got their own styles and their own preferences and things like that. But we have these empty burial clothes. After they spoke with the angels, they went to the apostles and they reported what had happened. And most did not believe them. 
Peter and John were amazed at the even thought of their story being true. So they ran ahead to the tomb. And everything was just as they said. Peter found the clothes. And another gospel says, not only found the clothes, they were neatly folded. Isn't that just like Jesus? They weren't just there, they were neatly folded too. They were empty. This could mean just one thing, that he was alive. Now, if someone had stolen the body, as some conspiracy theories of the time and that remain today try to put forth, why would you steal the body and not take the clothes it was wrapped in? They wouldn't have removed the clothes, and then, even if they had removed them, they wouldn't have folded them neatly and left them there. Jesus was alive. It wouldn't be long before he appeared to the eleven. As the song we sang today emphasized, it wouldn't be long before he appeared to Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, and all the people there. It wouldn't be long before he appeared to over 500. He would sit down with them. He would talk with them. He would eat with them. This sign of the empty burial clothes, clothing being very personal, showed me that God came back not just to provide a sacrifice, not provide a way out, but also a personal, intimate relationship with you and me. Fellowship was possible again. A relationship was possible again. He wants not just to provide for your sins, he wants to walk with you each and every day and be your friend. Once again, because of this sacrifice and the victory he achieved, fellowship Fellowship with God was possible. Jesus isn't just some nebulous force out in the universe. He's a living Savior who desires to have a personal, one-on-one relationship with you. Just as he did with the disciples 2,000 years ago. Think about it. The cross could not hold him. The tomb could not contain him. Contain him and the burial clothes, they weren't necessary. Because Jesus is alive. He was skin and bones and a face that was recognizable. He did it on this day of resurrection, and he is still alive today. And most importantly, he wants that relationship with you and with me. Each moment of each day. So the important question is, do you know Jesus? I don't mean do you know about him. Do you truly know Jesus? Because you can. You can. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. I've always appreciated that Jesus stood at the door and knocked. He didn't stand at the door and kick it in. He didn't stand at the door with a battering ram and bang on the door. He stood at the door and knocked and waits for you and I to let him in. Church, you and I can know his love. We can know his care. We can know his healing. We can know his forgiveness. That first Easter Sunday, as the woman went to the grave, they had no idea what was about to happen to them. They were not aware of the wonderful promises that would unfold that day. Off in the distance, they could see an empty cross, the promise that their sins would forever be forgiven. 
at the end of their journey was an empty tomb. The promise that eternal life was real and could be theirs. And inside the tomb, there were empty burial clothes. The promise that they could have a personal, one-on-one, intimate friendship and intimate relationship with Jesus of Nazareth. Their not dead Savior, their living Savior. The promises that they discovered that day, you and I can have today. You and I need today. The reality is the majority of relationships that the world puts their faith in today are just so shallow. But in Jesus, we can have something deeper. In Jesus, we can know the freedom of forgiven sins. In Jesus, we can know the promise and the joy of eternal life in heaven. And in Jesus, we can know Jesus as our everyday walk with him and talk with him Savior. Hallelujah. Now, Easter as a holiday or as a commemoration or as something we do in the church calendar is something that really for the church, for Christians, happens more than just once a year. We realize that God has made all sorts of promises and they're real every day. Some may be hard to bring ourselves to believe in, or are they? What would be more difficult for a two-ton stone to be moved by itself and a man who was dead who's now alive? My question is, do we take him at his word? Do we take him when he says you're forgiven? Do we take him at his word? Or do we try and convince Jesus that, no, other people might be forgiven, but not me? No, you are forgiven today. We take him at his word. Revelation 10, 13 says, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. Not just certain people. Not just the ones that are pictured as saints in much of church art history. Whoever. But pastor, I'm thinking of some really, really, really awful and bad people right now. Them too. I'm thinking of some people who have done some awful things throughout human history whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved but I'm thinking of some people who have not only done some real bad things throughout human history I'm thinking of some people who've done some real bad things to me whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved and that's important because while you're thinking of people who have done some bad things to you there are people thinking of bad things that have been done to them and they're thinking of you Whoever means whoever. Empty cross, an empty tomb, and empty burial clothes. Now, I personally don't have a problem with the depiction of Jesus on the cross. So I don't have any, any uh, emotional reaction when I see a crucifix. Because that did happen. And at times, I need to be reminded what he did for me. And the reality is, given what I know about the details of what he did for me, every crucifix I've ever seen is way understated. 
But the reality is, if I'm going to look at a cross as a symbol of the reality of what I walk in today, the cross behind me fits better. It's empty. It's empty. He is not there. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please.